So it's great to be with you today. I have a simple question for us this morning. Is there a simple test for love? Well, if there is, it's not going to be found in uh, a magazine uh, where we have to answer 10 questions about what love is. Um, it's not going to be found uh, by playing uh, the old game, uh, she loves me, she loves me not, she loves me, she loves me not. In our series from 1 John, John himself has been revisiting again and again uh, what he considers the real tests of love. On each occasion he considers it, he brings what love is into sharper focus. And today we come to the culmination of what he says. You see, when Jesus' first followers, including John, were writing the New Testament, a number of Greek words were commonly used for love. All of them were well-defined and well-understood. The word for sexual love was eros. Another word described the love between family members. Uh, the word for brotherly love uh, was philia, and we, we get that, the, the name of the city, Philadelphia, which means brotherly love, comes from that. Yet none of those came close to describing uh, the love of God, because the love of God is literally out of this world. So the New Testament writers wrote a, uh, used a, a little-known Greek word, agape, uh, John uses it 51 times, to describe this word, uh, that enca encapsulates the love of God. Effectively, they were redefining the world's view of love. And I want to draw out of this passage from 1 John chapter 4, five things that mark out the love of God for us today. The first thing is this, the love of God is pure, uncontaminated. This is what it says in uh, 1 John 4 verses 7 to 8. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Where I come from uh, in Swansea, the river that runs through Swansea is called the River Tawy. And the River Towie's source is found in the Black Mountains on the western edge of the Brecon Beacons. When it starts off, it starts off pure and it runs towards the sea. And yet centuries of heavy industry in the lower Swansea Valley have contaminated the river. In recent years, they've done lots to uh, try and improve water quality, but it's a brave person who wants to swim in the river. In the verses we read, John simply says, God is love. Phil Moore says that this has got to be one of the most quoted and least understood phrases in the whole of the Bible. The amazing truth uh, that John declares has slowly become contaminated more and more in today's society, both inside and outside the church. People now use that phrase to undermine what the Bible says. Most of us will have heard people say things like this. I thought God is loving. He doesn't feel very loving to me. John doesn't say God is loving. 
although he is. John doesn't say love defines God. John says God is love. He is saying love is not defined by how we feel, what we think, or what the culture around us tells us. Love is defined by who God is. And to to define love, we need to go back to the source, God himself. He is the origin of love. So to understand love, we need to comprehend, to understand who God is, his character and his nature. God, we're told, is holy. He's other than us, different from us, completely different from us, separated from us. He's faithful. He's great. He's powerful. He knows everything. He knows our thoughts before we think them, our words before we speak them. He is all present. We can't escape from his presence. Just like with a stick of rock, God's love runs through all of these things. Let me explain what I mean. So when God uh, disciplines us as a father, which we're told uh, uh, by the writer of Hebrews, he does in Hebrews 12, verse 6. A good father disciplines his child because he loves them and knows what's best for them. Once we grasp that God is love, we can be grateful for his fatherly discipline, knowing that it is always for our good, even if it doesn't feel good at the time. That's what the writer tells us. You see, God has revealed his love to this sin-sick world. God has initiated a rescue plan for people who simply don't deserve it. This is pure, unadulterated love. And John's message is God's children need to love just like he does. The world we live in may be mildly impressed when Christians show slightly better love than they do. At best, it may stir them to try harder because, you see, everybody's capable of loving actions. But the world is blown away. The world cannot comprehend when we represent God by showing his love, his unmerited love to those around us, those who don't deserve it, who haven't earned it. Reflecting this kind of love shows that we have come to know God, John says. See, the problem is, though, our hearts get contaminated by self-centeredness. It's what the, it's the, what the Bible calls the essence of sin, our self-focus, not focused on God. You see, it's difficult to love, we find it difficult to love people who are, we find frustrating, annoying, unkind, those who we find cruel. Yet if we love God, his love stirs in our hearts. It stirs us uh, in our thinking towards them. It brings a sense of conviction. Actually, I need to love these people. Why? Because God loved me just like that. Our attitude starts to change. It starts to impact how we act. The question this morning is, is God's love like that working in our hearts? What would those around us say to that question? God's love 
is pure. Secondly, God's love takes initiative. In verses uh, 9 to 12, it says this. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love the world, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, we all know that love uh, is costly and involves self-sacrifice. I remember when uh, my daughter uh, was getting married. Her, her husband now uh, moved from Southampton to be where she was in university. He got a job. Uh, he ended up living in a flat that had a window that looked onto a wall, which was about three feet away. There was little heating in the flat. He moved away from all his friends, from the church that he was part of, to be near her because he loved her. It was love that was costly. Occasionally, all of us come across uh, someone demonstrating love that makes us reflect, I'm not sure I could do that. Yet God's love is simply staggering. He takes the initiative. We didn't start loving God. God had to make the first move. You see, we can only begin to fathom the depth of God's love in the light of what we call theological truths, what the Bible says about him. We've read that God sent his son. God sent. You can't send a non-existent son. The point is Jesus has always existed as part of what, as Christians, we call the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. They have always existed, always been. And God sent his perfect Son to rescue, restore, to reconcile us back into a relationship with himself. You see, we needed saving. We needed rescuing because our sin created a barrier between us and a holy God. That's why Jesus had to be born of a virgin, both completely human, but completely God at the same time, untainted by uh, our sin, by the sin that we're born in in this world. Jesus reveals God's love to us by willingly taking our sin, our wrongdoings, and taking God's punishment for our sin on the cross. God's just anger at our sin is dealt with. We are forgiven. Paul says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To think that the virgin birth is irrelevant and Jesus was a good, just a good teacher who told us that, uh, uh, to love one another, that's a mile away from God's love. 
That kind of love is made up in our own minds, in our own thinking. It comes out of this world and this world's attitudes. Our understanding of the love of God grows as we uh, desperately, uh, as we understand how desperately we needed rescuing. If you've seen uh, the film The Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's a scene in it where uh, Indiana Jones is in this cavern under the ground and there's a hole in the ceiling and there's a bit of light coming through. And he's, uh, the, the ground is, uh, he's got some torches, so it's, it's fairly light. And then suddenly the torches go out. And uh, he's not afraid of the dark. He only becomes fearful when he realises what's on the ground around him. And he sees rats and all sorts of things and he's terrified and wants to get out. When we realise what a desperate condition we are in, when we realise how much we needed him, when we realise how far our heart attitude was from the God who created us, when we realise how steeped in what the Bible calls sin we are, we realise we need saving. We are overwhelmed that the God of heaven would send his son in to rescue us, to rescue you, to rescue me. Having received such amazing love, it leaves us with an obligation to show the same love to those around us. But we've already said and talked about that that isn't easy. We need to start remembering what we were like when God revealed his love to us. We were dead in our sin, the Bible says. So we need, like our Father in heaven, to take the initiative in reaching out. We need to be those who make the first move. I don't know about you in this season. Are you feeling let down, offended, hurt? Are you waiting for others to make the first move? Maybe you're worried that you're going to be rejected. I want you to remember this morning how much he loved you, that he came for you. If we love one another, albeit imperfectly, John says that God remains in us by his spirit and his love ripens and matures in us, grows in us. That's what God longs for each one of us in this season as we are scattered. The third thing is true love is dependable. In verses 13 to 16, it says this. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world saviour. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. In my early 20s, I knew my mum loved me. But I was living in a way, behaving in a way uh, that uh, wasn't great. But my mum loved me relentlessly. She was utterly dependable in her love towards me. You know, the people we trust the most are those we know love us the most. Those who have, who have seen us at our best and at our worst and love us consistently. God 
has loved each one of us. Despite our inconsistencies, despite our shortcomings, despite our failings and our sin, this God is worthy of our trust. You see, too many of us have a flawed view of God's love towards us. We find it easier to believe that God is frustrated and cross with us when we failed again. I remember uh, as I was growing up as a teenager, I would go to bed at night and my dad would come in and uh, I remember I would hear him night after night. He'd be talking to my mum and it would sound to me like the voices were raised. And I remember I often, as I was lying in bed thinking, oh, he's cross with me again. That's what I felt. He wasn't, but it felt like he was cross with me again. And I remember living with that was a, a terrible thing. I remember the day that I, uh, some years later, when I'd, I was driving, I'd, uh, the, the week before I'd borrowed my dad's car and I'd had an accident, my fault, I'd uh, smashed it up and uh, done over a thousand pounds worth of damage. And later that week I was driving my car to work and I went straight in the back of a brand new Volvo and smashed up the front of my car, it was like a concertina. And I remember walking home thinking, he's going to kill me. He's going to go mad at me. And I remember uh, my dad, uh, my mum phoning my dad in work and my dad speaking to me. And this is what he said. He just said, son, he said, as long as you're OK, that's all that matters. I want you to know God loves us. My, I thought my dad would be cross with me. He's my dad. He loved me. Our father in heaven is way, way, way better than that. Our God loves us relentlessly. His love is dependable. It never, ever stops towards you. God's love is shown in his patience and his kindness. I'm sure as John wrote these words, he remembered how Jesus had restored Peter, uh, his friend and fellow uh, disciple. And Peter denied Jesus and how Jesus so graciously restored him into relationship and, and dealt with him. All through the Bible we read, that is what God is like. He dealt with uh, Moses who'd committed murder, restored him and lovingly, graciously restored him over the years. Elijah, who wanted to commit suicide, wanted to jack it all in because things weren't turning out as he planned. Jonah, who wanted to run away from what God was asking him to do. John Mark, who just gave up because it was just too tough. God graciously and lovingly restored them all. God is always, always willing to help you and me when we stumble and encourage us to take the next step. As Patrick Regan says, he's a loving God whose heart is moved each time his child is in pain. So what guarantee do we have that God's love is dependable? The presence of his spirit. If God's spirit dwells in us, he testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Tim was talking about this last week. The Holy Spirit within us stirs us to worship, to rejoice, to declare with amazement 
that God our Father has sent his son Jesus to be the world's saviour, to be our saviour, to rescue us. What about you in this season? Do you need to be filled again with the Holy Spirit? Do you need to know the love of God afresh, shed abroad in your heart? That comes by the presence of the Spirit of God. That's what Paul tells us in Romans. And building on this, true love also brings confidence. In verses 16 to 18, it says this, God is love and the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because love involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. Many years ago, I uh, went to Israel and uh, bathed in the Dead Sea. And the amazing thing about the Dead Sea is that it's so salty, you simply can't sink. You're held safe. You can lie in the water. You can read a book. You can read a paper. If we remain in love, bask in God's great love for us, we come to a place where we have nothing to fear. We can't sink. We can face the future days with peace in our heart, especially the day we know we're going to stand before God. John simply says there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives it out. Are our lives marked by fear or confidence? Confidence? Are you confident? Is your confidence based on who you are in Christ? I read this beautiful verse in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 12, earlier this week. Moses, God's servant, was promising God's people this. Let the beloved of the Lord Rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. How much greater are the promise of promises of Jesus God's Son? Moses God's servant promises that, but Jesus God's Son's promises are so much more than that. He promises to never leave you or forsake you. He promises to be with you every moment of every day. Does that not give you confidence in these days as we press through this second season of lockdown? Finally, true love generates a response. Verses 19 to 21. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. We love because God first loved us. We're going to celebrate this moment together. We're going to remember what Jesus did for, for us on the cross. We're going to remember God's great love for us. This love that caused him to send his son across the cosmos 
to rescue people like us from our sin and selfishness and draw us into relationship with himself. We're going to remember Jesus' body broken for us. We're going to take the bread and we're going to break it and we're going to remember that Jesus' body was broken on our behalf. We're going to drink the wine in memory of Jesus' blood shed on the cross. The Bible says without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. As we do this we're going to focus on him and we're going to lavish ourselves in God's love for us. We're going to bathe in God's great love for us. We're going to bask in it. We're going to rejoice in all that he has done for us and thank him, thank the Father for his Son. We're going to worship the Son for dying for us and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill us afresh. Let's take Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came obedient to the Father's will. You gave yourself for me. On the cross, you sacrificed yourself to rescue me, to save me from my sin, that I might be forgiven, that the wrath of God might be satisfied, that I might know freedom and true life. I worship you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you died for me. Father, thank you for your great love demonstrated on the cross for me. What manner of love is this? I worship you. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, come and fill me afresh. I worship you. I just want to pray for us as we finish this morning. I'm going to ask God to come and fill you afresh with the Spirit where you are, that you would know God's love shed abroad, manifested in your heart and in your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing love. We thank you that you're, you are love. We thank you that very essence at your very essence your love and you so loved us you so loved us people that had wandered away far from you that you deliberately initiated salvation by sending your son to rescue us we thank you that christ came for us we thank you that your love is pure and untainted and uh, unadulterated in a world that's so full of sin father we thank you that your, your love has broken into our sin-sick world and into our hearts. Thank you that you revealed Christ to us. We thank you, Father, that you have, uh, uh, have, uh, have shown us that your love is dependable and consistent and never lets us go. Thank you that in these days we can know that we are safe and secure. And Father, I pray that in 
the, these days that you would come and fill each one of us, each person watching in this moment. I pray that you would fill them afresh with your spirit. Your Holy Spirit will come and uh, rest on them and in them and that they would know in their deepest part of their being that they are loved by Almighty God, that you will never let them go and sustain them and strengthen them through these days. Help them to be the people you call them to be, that they might reflect your love, your great love to a needy world around them. God, make us fruitful in these days. May we know the love of God that passes all measure. We worship you, we honour you, we love you. Amen.